Welcome to Arts Alive, focusing on the working artists of California's Central Coast. I'm your host, Brian Asher Alhadif. In our studios today is pianist Susan Azare Davies. Susan was adjunct music faculty and staff accompanist at Cal Poly for 35 years. She is currently principal pianist for the Slow Symphony and Orchestra Novo, accompanist for the Slow Master Chorale, and choir director and organist at St. Paul's Catholic Church. Welcome, Susan Azare Davies. We're so excited to have you in the studio today and learn more about your journey as a professional artist here on the Central Coast. Tell us a little bit about how long you've lived here and how your journey brought you to this wonderful region. Um, I've lived in the Central Coast for 37 years. Uh, my husband and I moved here in 1983 because he was hired at Cal Poly um, as a director of choral music. And uh, we were living in Los Angeles before that as freelance musicians. And I think we had seven part-time jobs between the two of us doing different things in music. Um, before that, I had met him at USC where I got my bachelor's and master's degrees. And um, I guess that's... That's that's uh, the more recent journey. <laughs> now, are you originally from this area, or did you come to California from somewhere mm. else? I actually was born in Pennsylvania. I uh, lived in in uh, Maryland and lived in New York, and then moved to California when I was pretty young. So, I'm basically a Californian since I was five. Oh, that's fantastic. So. Um, and you know, one of the great things uh, as a, I'm also a pianist, uh, not necessarily at your level at all, but uh, I certainly have sort of a feel for, for what you do. And uh, when you're a collaborative pianist, um, especially one as active and as long as of a time you've spent here on the Central Coast, there's just such a diversity in where you might work and how you might earn a living. I thought maybe we'd start by, what are the things you do as a collaborative pianist? Because it's not just playing uh, The Marriage of Figaro for singers. Uh, it's it, There's so much more. How, how, um, how diverse is your life? Well, it's one of the things I most love about what I do is that there are so many avenues of things that you can do, and I keep learning more things I can be doing. Obviously, you accompany people. You, you play for singers or you play for instrumentalists. You have the ability to do lots of chamber music. Mm -hmm. You get to play for a lot of rehearsals of opera or choral organizations. Um, I also work with the symphony, the San Luis Obispo Symphony. I'm their keyboard player for that and for uh, Mike Novak's uh, organization, Novo. And I mean, they're all different, but they're all having to do with making music with other people, which is what I love about what I do. And I love the solo repertoire as well. I mean, I was trained on that, and I can do that. Right. But there's something special about making music with other people. And I think it's the diversity of it and just the ability to, to combine ideas together is to me is, right. is very exciting and creative. So. And you like Broadway as well? I do. I used to play for many musicals when I was in high school and even after high school. I mean, I would be hired for a lot of different companies to do those sort of things. So I love playing for musicals. That's great repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Broadway, Susan, can you tell us a few of the shows that you've been in a pit uh, orchestra and really enjoyed and what that was like? Well, I've played many 
many musicals. I, I remember one in particular. I played for Man of La Mancha, and I remember this in particular because I was in the pit, even though there was not actually a piano part for me. There was a guitar part, but they were lacking a guitarist. So in lieu of that, they put thumbtacks on the hammers of the piano. It was kind of a wreck of a piano anyway. And so it would sound like a guitar. But wow. I always, this was in high school. I still remember. Remember the experience. Great show, but I'm not sure that the uh, thumbtack on the hammer idea is probably a good one. So Man of La Mancha for prepared mm-hmm. piano, a la yes. John Cage. There you go. <laughs> That's great. Are there any other shows that stand out? I've played the Fantastics a number of times um, in small dinner theaters and in small uh, kind of community uh, playhouse situations. And I love that show because it's it's basically just piano and you have drums I think there's a flute or something but or string bass but it's a fun show to play it's I, I really enjoy that one um, I've enjoyed Guys and Dolls I've done that a number of times we did that up at Cal Poly at least once um, while we were there and is there a show that you have not yet accompanied show opera piece that you're just it's really on your bucket list the top of your bucket list right now hmm well, I have to say, I was preparing to play this Vaughn Williams piano quintet. Ooh. It was something that actually wasn't published until after his death. And his widow was very protective about releasing any of these early works because he wasn't that pleased with them. Mm-hmm. But this is one that had only been released, I think, about 10 years ago. And uh, they did it at the Festival Mosaic a couple of years ago. Oh. And um, we were planning to do this program in March. It was the one I was busting my chops over because it's really hard piano part but I really love the piece and I'm hoping to be able to perform it again <laughs> well I'm sure that'll be one of the first things we have the opportunity to experience when the curtains open again and it's really exciting to have uh, personally I've worked with you in a number of, of, of very unrelated capacities uh, you were my accompanist when I was part of the San Luis Bispo Master Choral, so I got to experience you <laughs> in that capacity. You have uh, accompanied our singers before in, in recitals. You've uh, substituted during opera pr- productions. Uh, we worked together at Cal Poly for, for co-opera productions, so I've certainly uh, been able to experience you in a number of, of different uh, 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 roles as a, as a pianist, which is, which is really exciting. So one of the areas that um, maybe you don't have a lot of say in is repertoire selection, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes I would imagine that does happen. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to choosing repertoire and how that even comes well, into play? As you say, I'm often playing repertoire that other people select. I mean, be it the conductor or the instrumentalist or the singer. Um, but here again, oftentimes I'm introduced to things that I would never have known before, and they work out very well. Right, right. Um, but when I'm doing chamber music um, with friends or with other you know players in the area, it's often a collaborative thing where we decide together what we want to play, what works well in a program. Mm-hmm. And I do some solo things, and obviously I get to pick all of that myself. But, but I have to say, sometimes you go into something where you've been hired to play something, right. and at first you're like, you know, I'm not sure I'm in love with this. But the more you work on it, it it becomes like your favorite piece. Yeah, uh, I had exactly that experience. My introduction to opera, my first opera was Soir Angelica. So that was the uh, the piece the universe assigned to me. 
And boy, I was I was not into that at all. But within about two or three weeks, it became one of my favorite operas. So I definitely relate to that. <laughs> it's, it's very true. It's like the old question people ask you, what's your favorite piece of, work, of music? Well, whatever I'm working on right now exactly. is kind of my favorite. <laughs> or ask me what my favorite child is. How do you choose? You know. <laughs> Susan, how do you prepare for a career in collaborative piano? I think there's so many elements to it, which is why I found it fascinating. I mean, here again, I love the solo repertoire and, and learning solo. It, it's just a different skill set. Obviously, you need to be a strong pianist. I mean, to go into the collaborative stuff, you've got to have all the same strong technique that you would have as a solo pianist. And I I often get annoyed when people think, oh, you know, well, she's just an accompanist, mm. you know. But it's, it's not true. There's so many other elements to it. You have to have amazing listening skills and this is something you need to always be working on to refine those because you are responsible for balance in many of these situations tone colors to match whoever you were playing for I mean you play differently for a wind player than you would a string player than you would for a singer all of those things are important are we all together I mean all right. of this stuff when you're by yourself playing it's funny because when I do solo repertoire it's almost free it's a freeing kind of experience because, like, I can do whatever I feel like right. here. I can take a little more time here. You can't do that so much when you're with other people unless you've discussed it before. I mean, there's a little give and take, but, yeah. but I mean, you, you have to reach compromises in mm. those kinds of settings. I, I think being what's fun about the accompanying also is that you can respond as you're, as you're playing and working with people. Uh, the working with a singer, for example. I mean, if you have a soprano and they're singing high, they like to feel the support of the piano underneath them, uh -huh. right? As opposed to when they're singing low and they might be a little weaker in their range, you might lighten up a little bit. But I mean, those kind of decisions that you're making as you're going through, I find that interesting because it's ever-changing. You're playing for a choir, completely different set of skills there. There, you have to learn how to watch a conductor. You have uh -huh. to learn, and I, I probably comfortable with this because I've been playing for my husband for so long that I kind of know where he's going to go when right. he stops the choir. I think oh, he's going to go there and work on that. Um, if you hear a, a section that's struggling or kind of needs a little help, you can kind of be doing that. I mean, but those are skills that you learn mm -hmm. doing those sorts of things. Yeah, I remember like when we, when we were in the chorus of uh, the Master Chorale, mm -hmm. and that was uh, last year we were doing the Bloch Sacred Service and the Bernstein Chichester Psalms. Some now, as a chorus member, I'm looking at my part, and I see your part. Mm -hmm. And I would remember many times you would hear something that was off that maybe Tom didn't catch, and you played it on the on the piano. Like perhaps maybe the basses weren't quite as loud as they needed to be, and he didn't say it, but you heard it, and so mm -hmm. you just honed in on the on the on the bass part. And that's sort of part of that active listening oh, sure. that you're talking just about. Just like a conductor, I mean, you have to have those ears. I mean, I think conducting is what 90 percent listening mostly yeah i mean it's just a <laughs> lot of that and well, it's 90 percent fantasizing there's a little bit of listening in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> good point <laughs> but i mean that communication that you have between yeah. the different elements in, in accompanying I, I find that really interesting and it's it's different and all the jobs i do are all a little different and i like that too mm -hmm. i also have a church position i'm an organist and a choir director um, and so, I mean, that's a different s set of skills as well, and I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's 
it's all good. So what yeah. does it mean to uh, to suddenly take on the organ? Because mm-hmm. you were talking about in your education, you were at USC for your master's, and it was in piano, and it was collaborative, and now all of a sudden we brought in the organ. But mm-hmm. you've got to do things with your feet there. Mm-hmm. Did, was that a parallel study for you? Did you feel like, well, I'm a pianist, I might as well learn this to add to the, how did that sort of come about? It came about, I was offered a church position when I was 14 um, at a church in Poway. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, sure, why not? I mean, a little extra money. And, and I kind of learned sort of on the, on the job, I would uh-huh. say. And I kind of, you know, read books and kind of practiced a little bit with the feet. So I've been having church jobs ever since then, really, since wow. uh, that point. And it actually came in really handy. When I went to USC, I didn't have a, a church job per se, but I was like the substitute for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. somebody was going to be going, hey, Susan, can you play for me this weekend? I read this church. So I was like on every, you know, every yeah. denomination, whatever, I'd come in and, and be the substitute. Now, I feel uh, like every collaborative pianist that I know also plays the organ. You kind of, you know, here again, if you want to eke out an existence, you got to right. be as versatile as possible. That's great to That's know. That's very important. I'm sure Paul Woodring would agree with that because oh, he uh, certainly yeah. is. I mean, he's primarily an organist and then kind of went into the piano. I think mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I never call myself an organist. I do play, but I'm certainly not at the level of a AGO, you know, American Guild of Organists right. level <laughs> here. But. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's very interesting to hear that that those relationships, and I think it's also important for our our young collaborative piano students out there who are thinking they're just going to focus on the piano. But now, yeah. when is it a good time maybe to consider adding organ in a more serious way to your uh, education? Um, I would say I would get the keyboards, you know, the hands stuff first. It for a couple of years, and then maybe after that, I mean, you'd have to ask someone who. It's so almost had a, parallel with piano lessons, maybe. I think maybe yeah, maybe a little after because with the feet adding another thing, and when people are having enough trouble with the right hand, left hand, and all of that, it might be a thing to wait on just a little bit. Susan, when you are left to your own devices and you have the ability to choose repertoire, where does your heart usually bring you? Wow, that's that is a hard one. Um, I would say probably mostly the classical romantic repertoire would mm. probably, I mean, I do some Baroque. It isn't that I don't, but I'm more comfortable with the, with, uh, yeah, 18th, 19th. I, I definitely relate to that 20th as well. centuries, I think, especially the romantic. I mean, there's just so much sure. of yourself you can pour into the music there. Yeah, absolutely. Although I've been playing a lot during the COVID uh I've been playing a lot of Haydn and a lot of Mozart. I just there's something cleansing about those composers. That's mm-hmm. just the precision of it all and Right. Talk to us a little bit about how this time in history is really affecting uh, your your act- activity as a musician and and but maybe even more importantly your creative river. Because we all, as, as artists, we have this creative river of energy that's constantly flowing. And under normal circumstances, we have a number of performance opportunities throughout the year to feed that fuel towards. What's happening now? It's difficult, I have to say. Especially at the beginning, I had a number of chamber concerts I was just practicing my little tail off for. And then they just got pulled. Mm. Yeah, I had one in March that was like, it was going to be a really difficult program. And I had been working on it really hard, and then yeah, it just right. got pulled, you know. So, I mean, that was hard. I had a number of things that were upcoming. And then it's you almost don't even want to practice because you're just like, 
sort of like a child having a <laughs> right. a moment. You know, it's like I don't even want to touch if the I piano can't go anymore. To that park, if I, I can't play that music, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to practice at all. But I got over that really fast, and then I just started playing music again and loving it. But I mean, it's difficult because it's hard to plan anything. I mean, I have a number of people who want to do things, and it's like, well, when everything. You know, everything eases up and we can do things again. We'll get back to it. So in the meantime, I'm just playing the piano. A lot of solo repertoire, which is, and now which is, is great again. Is, is, is the Davies family sort of uh, having also a, sort of a revolution at home? Because you do have a musical family. Your son plays the cellist. You're the cello. Uh, Tom is a singer and conductor. And I don't know if Tom plays another instrument. Plays piano. Oh, uh, maybe some husband and wife, one piano, forehand music happening? Yes, we might want to pull some of that out. Not, <laughs> we used to do more of that, actually, but I think he, now he's at the point where he, <laughs> I think he doesn't like my corrections, <laughs> perhaps. Right, yeah. <laughs> but he's been playing the piano actually more, which is good for him. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, before you came into the studio, we were talking a little bit about what it, how things have changed in the last 30, 40 years in, in, the, in the role of a collaborative pianist. Even the term collaborative pianist has sort of succeeded the old-fashioned accompanist. Mm -hmm. What kind of things have you learned in your time in this role? What would you go back to? What would you say to a young collaborative pianist, uh, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at USC, eating up literature? What do they, what, what do they just don't get yet? They probably don't get the collaborative part of it. I mean, I think sometimes we just think, oh, I'm a pianist and I'm just going to play for people and that's going to be you know, what I do. And it's like there's so much more to it. There's so many other skill sets that you need to have. I mean, yes, you need to be a good pianist, but I can't emphasize enough the listening element, which as a solo pianist, I mean, I've worked with solo pianists who then want to do accompanying they don't listen really well because right. they're listening to themselves mm -hmm. and they're worried about the notes and they're worried about what they're doing. But it's it's sort of like you may remember the old adage about people who are involved in chamber music, right? That oftentimes we're performing when we should be practicing. Yes. We're practicing when we should be rehearsing and we're rehearsing when we should be performing. Oh, yeah. And I think it's, it's still very true. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, uh, one of the I think that's a very important point to think about. And I, I have this come up sort of every once in a while in my history of rock and roll classes when I'm asking the students to divorce themselves from the enjoyment of music in order to focus on something else. And so as a pianist, as a collaborative pianist or as a concert pianist, sometimes you have to divorce yourself from the own enjoyment of your part in order to service the rest of right. the ensemble. Right. And as a young accompanist, you have to learn to get out of just looking at your part. As you know, when you're playing chamber music with, say, a string ensemble or something, you have all of their parts on your part. You have your part plus theirs are all above it. Right. You have to learn how to get the eyes accustomed to looking at those. And as a conductor, of course, you're dealing with this all the time. It's so much easier to just look at the parts yeah. as opposed to have to play them. <laughs> well, that's true. But I mean, to just look and see where their cues are and all right. that. But I mean, that's a, a very valuable skill for any pianist who wants to go into the collaborative arts, that you've got to expand that vision. Even when you're playing for a singer, you have to be able to see their part mm -hmm. as you're looking at your part. And it's just kind of softening your gaze and kind of expanding it out. And then you can start seeing more and more to read the choral parts while you're reading underneath. I mean, to be able to see all that, it's it's a skill that 
you actually have to practice doing that. Doesn't come, that part books. doesn't come easy. Then. Not necessarily. I think the other important skill for any collaborative pianist and anyone who wants to make a living at it is to be able to sight read. And I'm asked this constantly. And that simply means the ability, for those who might not know, when somebody first puts music in front of you and expects you to just play it and you've never seen it before, it's a really valuable skill. So it's not as easy as if I put a paragraph in front of you and said, can you read this for me? It's a little, a little <laughs> beyond that, yes. And it's, it's, I've often had students, because like, I actually started an accompanying class at a Cal Poly mm. and um, loved it because I worked with the piano majors and you know had them put their accompanying, their collaborative piano hats on so they could start learning how to do some of these things. But it was always the question of, well, how do you learn how to sight read? It's like, how do you learn how to do anything? You do it every day. You yeah. just sit there and you pull something out you've never played before and you just play it. When I was in high school, I played for the choir and my conductor in high school never gave me the music ahead of time. He would throw it in front of me and start beating a pattern wow. and I would just play. And I have absolutely no idea how horrible I'm sure it was at the beginning and I just kept going, you know, because you, you kind of have to keep going. Yeah. But it got better eventually. But I mean, when you're forced to do that, you learn how to do it, mm -hmm. and it becomes kind of second nature, and it's just it's just a matter of doing it. And I think oftentimes, especially pianists, because we play so much by ourselves, we're not in ensembles, we're just in our mm -hmm. little practice room. I would hear them at USC practicing one measure. Oh, we've perfected that. Let's move on to the next, you know, and, and learning things that way. And it's just sort of not the way it works in the real world, in the collaborative world, in the accompanying world. I mean, if you want to get jobs, you need to to be able to just keep going. So uh, let's talk about this interesting uh, concept is when you're moving from collaborative piano to soloist, mm -hmm. how does your work as a collaborative pianist uh, support that? And I don't mean the other way around because you learn to be a soloist before you learn to be a collaborative mm -hmm. pianist. But then once you've now accumulated all of this, all of these skills and tools, do you find that as you're learning new music as a soloist that there's a relationship there? Yes, because I think you still are thinking, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. For example, when I play with the San Luis Obispo Symphony, I mean, you're hearing things orchestrally, mm -hmm. right? When you're playing solo piano, I'm hearing it orchestrally oftentimes. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, oh. this to me sounds like a flute. This sounds more string-like. You're almost orchestrating it in your head. Mm -hmm. So I think it does play a part in, in sort of that interpretation. And for our young collaborative pianists that are in a college program right now, what kind of time do they really need to be sort of budgeting in order to sort of, sort of get it? With regards to uh, sight reading, when do they start to see a, a, a when do you, you know, and I know it's it's very uh, unique for each musician, but generally speaking, we're talking to a college student, they don't quite yet know that they're going to have to really invest this amount of time into the field before they start feeling it more, uh, become a natural tool, the sight reading, mm -hmm. uh, the um, improved listening skills. What kind of investment are we looking at? Mm -hmm. Well, in terms of the sight reading, I try to start that when I've had even young students. You start it early on, and it's just a matter of them playing something that's below the level that they're working on. I mean, they might be working on a little Clementi Sonatina, but you can throw sight reading in front of them that's quite a bit below that level that you just force them to, not, I shouldn't say force, 
(laughs) (laughs) You have them start. You give them a tempo, and you say, we have to stay with this, and I want you just to keep going no matter what happens. Right. But it has to be at a level that's easy enough that they're not struggling that much. Yeah. It has to be a couple levels below what they're actually capable of playing. But I like to start that fairly early. As you were mentioning that, I had sort of the visualization of training wheels. Yeah. You know, at a certain point in time when you're riding a bicycle, you exceed the speed that training wheels can really support. Mm -hmm. And you just sort of have to go with the tools that you've accumulated Mm -hmm. and, and... and I imagine there's probably some synergy there with with mm-hmm. uh, learning to to become a better sight reader. Something that I have struggled with all of my life. I don't in my world. I don't have to sight read that often, right. so I'm not, not really using it. that tool. Um, but uh, that, that definitely is something that requires practice. Mm-hmm. And speaking of practice, a lot of uh, musicians are practicing for an audition, and in an audition, we're likely to see you very frequently here in the Central <laughs> Coast. Talk to us a little bit about your experience uh, as uh, in the audition. What is uh, what 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 have you learned as a as a as a collaborative pianist uh, ju- as a judge? Um, what do you have to tell us about the audition process? Well, I would say here again, the most important thing is to get the person you're playing for to feel at ease. Mm. Oftentimes I'm playing for somebody I've never met before. I show up at the audition. They give me their music. Sometimes I've had it ahead of time. Mostly not. Um, They give you the music. You discuss a tempo and you realize that sometimes the tempo they're giving you has absolutely nothing to do with what they're actually going to do. Right. (laughs) Because they're nervous. So it's here again listening is really important Mm -hmm. because here again they're they're just nervous and you want to make sure that they're getting their entrances if they don't you can circle around again or you can kind of just start playing their part softly to kind of help them I'm I'm talking mostly about singers I think in this right the instrumental world oftentimes they go just crazy with tuning suddenly they get in there and they're trying to tune their instrument and oftentimes I feel like my hands are a little tight if it's an audition I don't feel like I should be like telling them, okay, you're really flat, but (laughs) you hope they eventually pick that up if you keep hitting the note for them to keep (laughs) tuning with, but sometimes it's like, okay, I think we need to move on now. Right, right. But but here again, just trying to make it as easy as you can. And for a musician, or I should say for an instrumentalist in, in that process, their ability to get through the tuning process is just as much part of their audition it as is. what they're about to play. <laughs> Which is why I often feel like, I don't think I should be contrib- contributing to this so much. But yeah, it depends what level we're talking about. Oftentimes when uh, I'm preparing a production and we're starting to schedule auditions, I'll have a conference with the uh, collaborative pianist that's at the audition and ask the question, what do I need to tell these singers to make your life easier? And that's an important question because you are brought into many of the audition discussions after the audition. And I'm sure a lot of uh, musicians aren't really aware how much their collaborative pianist is part of that decision-making process. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the things that make the experience um, uh, easy and also serve to uh, best, better highlight the person auditioning? Mm -hmm. Here again, I think in in the case of singers, I think they like to feel support underneath them. It's a delicate balance between being too loud or being too soft. As a singer myself, I know if somebody's playing for me and they're not playing loud enough, right. it, it almost constricts your ability to be able to 
project. Seize up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. you seize up. And sometimes with a, a, especially on the bass, to kind of the bass side of the piano, to kind of bring up your left hand a little bit to give mm-hmm. them more of that, that solid feeling so that they feel like something they can push against, you know, to sing right. better. I think that's important. I think being flexible with tempo, because here again, as as you say, or as we both said, sometimes people give you a tempo that has no bearing on what they're actually doing. So right. you might start off with one thing and they come in with another, watching how they're breathing, mm-hmm. all of those sort of uh, gentle signals. Is, is there anything that, that uh, instrumentalist singers do that is sort of like a, a bad thing in the audition process. For example, I like one thing I hear all the time is uh, they give uh, the pianist terrible copies with with burns all over the page. <laughs> um, what what sort of things do you find to be common ticks that just well, we, we need to get through as a, a, as a culture? That's exactly <laughs> that one is a big one. I mean, the the old tattered like fax copies or something that you're getting that are <laughs> yeah. sort of rolling up as you're trying to. I mean, they really need to have them taped together or mm-hmm. bound in some way that that it makes it easy. The other thing that will certainly set any pianist off is when the soloist uh, messes up and then looks at you. Oh. <laughs> I think we've all experienced that one. Uh-huh. So that, that does not endear you to your accompanist. Yeah. Um, and realize that the accompanist can kind of make or break you. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. W- and how about with regards to setting tempo? I understand that uh, they teach you early on to ask your singer to snap at you, right? And to demonstrate how fast the piece is supposed to go. I don't like the snapping. <laughs> Just <is> kidding. Horrible. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're kidding, Brian. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> kidding. <laughs> it's, it's just horrible. That's, that's them. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting to know. And uh, just before we we wrap up, I'd like to ask, can you lead us out with your words of encouragement for young people uh, seeking a career in collaborative piano? I think it's one of the most joyous fields to be in because it's so diverse and because you're with people, right? And we're all trying to make this product as, as good as we can. And to me, that's the best way to make music is with others. Um, and there's so much versatility in it. I love that aspect of it. I mean, you, there are some people that specialize in, you know, just accompanying singers or instruments. I like to do all of it, and I enjoy that. Mm. And I love the big rehearsals. I, it's all good. And there certainly is a lot. I mean, I've never heard of a good accompanist not having work. I mean, I think it's one of the fields that you can always get a job. Right. It might be several jobs, but I mean, you can always, if you're good at it, there's a need out there for and, that. And if you're bad at it, there's also plenty of work, too. <laughs> I, if I'm, I, I hate to say it. <laughs> Susan Azare Davies, thank you so much for coming in today and sharing your world with us. I'm sure there's a number, many, many young people who are getting a lot of, of important information here in Life Tools. And we wish you the best and look forward to seeing you on a live stage real yeah. soon. Thank you. If you found this content insightful, please subscribe and review on your preferred podcast platform. Funded by the Arts Collaborative, this podcast was produced on-site at the studios of the San Luis Obispo County Office of Education. For more information, visit us at www.slocoarch.org. That's S-L-O-C-O-E-A-R-T-S dot org. <laughs>